So before I start, I just want to read a couple things. I don't know if I'll read the whole list. Let's see. Let's see if you guys laugh a little. If you know you're poor when dumpster diving is an acceptable sport. Okay, chuckle. You know you're poor when you never lock your door because you have absolutely nothing to steal. You know you're poor when the neighbors' fights are your version of reality TV. You know you're poor when the whole neighborhood shares the cable bill. All right? And you learn how to hack things just so that you can steal your neighbor's internet. You know you're poor when all your DVDs that you owned were bootleg. Remember that? There was a time. There was a time. I mean, our, our teenagers are like, DVDs, what's that? There was a time. <laughs> you know you're poor when you close your car windows with duct tape and you live by the motto that duct tape fixes everything. Right? You know you're poor when you know how to make a pack of hot dogs last a whole week to feed your kids. You know you're poor when you use shampoo and dishwashing liquid to clean your laundry. Nobody? Nobody's been there? I, I lived in the barracks and I did, I, did, I, did the, I did the shampoo thing. I did the shampoo thing. <laughs> you know you're poor when you use Kool-Aid to color your hair. But pastor, they just didn't have my color in the, in the beauty supply place. You know you're poor when you know just how far 50 cents of gas will get you. These days, nowhere. But believe it or not, there was a time that gas was a dollar. And it wasn't like in the 20s, okay? I was in high school and gas was a dollar. And so when someone gave you a couple dollars, you're like, that's almost a quarter tank right there. Blessed are the, blessed are the poor in spirit. There was a, a young American student that became fascinated um, with, you know, classical music. And uh, she went on a visit to the Beethoven Museum in Bonn. And while she was there, she got to see the piano. Beethoven's famous piano where he composed some of his greatest works. She asked the museum guard if she could play a few tunes on it. And she even slipped him a little tip to sway his decision. After receiving the tip, he nods, he lets her sit down, and she begins to play. She begins to play. You know, a lot of things with everybody, you know, you know, she plays that. As she was leaving, she said to the guard, she asked, man, all the great pianists that come here must, must just want to play and play on this piano. He kind of chuckled and he shook his head, no. He says, no, not really. And it, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but he said, but uh, Podersky, he's a famous Polish pianist. He was there just a few years ago. 
and he told me that he was not worthy of touching it. Think about that for a moment. Having an attitude of not being good enough is probably not an attitude that's going to get us anywhere, uh, right, in today's business world, in today's world. Um, they're having confidence, having confidence and in yourself and your abilities is something that is often rewarded. When we have confidence, when you're confident, when you know what you can do, this world rewards you for it, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, we don't, we don't want everyone to be walking around arrogant and proud, you know, but we do want people to have a surety of themselves. We want people to, to understand who they really are, what they're capable of. We, you know, that, that's okay, right? We want go-getters. There people are willing to keep striving to achieve. But often, this attitude of self-confidence is so valued overly valued in our culture today that it, it kind of it distorts our proper understanding of our own abilities. And it can lead to an attitude of overconfidence in ourselves. At a minimum, it, it, it presents this misplaced confidence in our ability to accomplish something. This morning, we're continuing our series, uh, Blessed Are The. Last week, we talked about, uh, we, we, we kind of introed it. It's the sermon. Jesus said these eight Beatitudes at the Sermon on the Mount. We say Sermon on the Mount because he was on a mountain when he preached it, right? And um, he said eight seemingly absurd things <laughs> that stress the blessedness of those who live by these attitudes, or outlook in life. They were completely counter to what the people today think. And we talked about that last week. The timer, the timer starts now, so you guys hanging out for an extra 30 minutes. I'm only playing. In today's world, everybody looks on the outside. Let's just be real. Everybody looks on the outside, the outward appearance, right? Um, to determine if someone's blessed or not. We look at yeah, angel's blessed, bro. You see those, you see that car he got outside? That's a 2024 uh, Bentley. Man, he's blessed. He's blessed, right? We say, we say that people are blessed based on the outward appearance. And... We understand, and we, we touched on it a little, a little bit last week, that there are some translations that take the word blessed and they stick happy in there, right? And unfortunately, that's, that's a poor translation. It's a poor translation because what happens is we see the word happy and we automatically go to the outward appearance to see if someone's happy, right? And we talked about that last week. We're not going to talk too much about it. If you want to see it, just go back to last week and watch it. Jesus isn't, he's not seeking to describe our outer feelings. Like, like he's, not do, he's not talking to describe what you should be feeling on the outside or what it should look like on the outside. But rather, it's an inner attitude of how we are being called to live. And there's a joy that comes. There's a joy 
that, 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 that comes with that, right? Blessed, not blessed, meaning constantly happy, but blessed meaning that you have and can experience God's approval. Listen to this. If you have ever experienced someone's approval, think about this, guys. Think of someone that you care about. Think of someone that you love. Think of someone that you admire. Think of someone that, that, that like, in your life, they got, some, they got some weight to them, right? All of a sudden, this person, right, this person that you so admire, that you so care about, um, gives you the approval. You experience the approval of someone that you love and respect. At that moment, don't you feel joy for a moment? Like, don't you feel good? You're like, oh, that feels nice, warm and fuzzy, all tingly inside, because you have received this approval of someone that you truly care about. I believe that what Jesus is meaning when he says blessed here is just that. So, for example, let's just take the first two of the Beatitudes and let's say if we translate it in this form. It would say having and experiencing God's approval are those who are blessed who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we'll do the second one. Having and experiencing God's approval are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You guys see that? You understand that? So over the course of this series, we're going to take each beatitude and we're going to, we're going to examine the sayings of Jesus to seek a better understanding of what he's saying and look into our own heart and ask God to help us live this way. And I, and I say ask God to help us live this way because this is not an easy way to live. It doesn't come naturally, especially being living in the world that we're living in today. I want to um, consider the first beatitude this morning, and we're going to take a look at that. And, but before we do, I want to read again Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. And you guys said, Pastor, you read this last week. We're going to read the full context of it every week. Maybe somebody might even memorize it. I don't know. I don't know. Matthew 5, verse 1 to 12 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessing, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, when we see this, right, we see that as Jesus spoke, he began this sermon. And the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I would say this is pretty important. I mean, you know, if we all understand something, when we have a list of things to say, right, naturally, sometimes we just kind of say what's most important first because it's on the top of our mind. But I want to say that this is more so important. Oh, okay, okay. This is most important. I mean, I want to say that this is really important because when you are poor in spirit, the Scripture says, and Jesus says, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Makes us question, well, if blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, what happens if you are not poor in spirit? What happens if we are not? I don't know. I do know what happens when we are poor in spirit, because the scripture tells me, right? Before we go into, into diving what this looks like, being poor in spirit, I want to start off with a couple things that we know it's not. I want a couple things that we know it's not. Number one, poor in spirit does not mean spiritually immature. Throughout the whole scripture, throughout the Bible, we are being encouraged to grow and mature in our walk with God. Amen? Right. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ and the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There's another version where Paul says, Um, Being mature means to be attaining the whole measure of fullness of Christ. How many of us that call ourselves disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, don't want to attain that? I think we want that. I think we should be striving for that. I I mean, we should want to to experience the whole measure of, of the fullness of Christ. In Colossians... 4, chapter 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So, so we need to be maturing. We need to be growing. I'm not going to ask nobody to raise their hands. But you got to ask yourself, you've been coming here two years, you've been coming here three years, some of you have been coming here almost 30 years, but you got to reflect in your walk with God, am I in the same place where I was before? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Do I respond the same way to things that I used to? Do I think the same way that I used to? Do I still prioritize the things of this world above the things of Christ? 
Like, I don't want, again, I don't want nobody raising their hands, but we have to do a self-evaluation. We got we to gotta really ask ourselves, because if not, then all you're doing is just showing up, hearing good music, hearing someone talk, and going home. If you are not moving forward in your walk with God, you're missing it. You're not going to experience the fullness of his measure. If you're not maturing in your walk with God, you won't be fully assured in the will of God. If we are maturing and growing in biblical knowledge, right, so that we know what, is, what God wants us to live like, like that's what we need to do. We need to be growing, maturing in our walk, in the word, so that we can understand what God wants of us. Poor in spirit does not mean spiritually immature. <laughs> Poor in spirit does not mean self-loathing. People know what self-loathing is? <sighs> that you hate yourself or you're constantly degrading yourself or, or I'm just a piece of garbage. Nobody cares about me. I'm good for nothing, right? Oh, woe is me. Pity party. I think we all know people like that. But the thing is this, it's not just that also. Self-loathing, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes people self-loathe to present this false humility. Oh, I'm good for nothing. Oh, I'm just nobody. Don't worry about me. And they want to present this false humility out into the world. This is definitely not what being poor in spirit means. We need to recognize and realize as human beings that we've been created in the image of Christ, of God. I'm going to remind you by reading some of these verses, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him male and female. He created them One more time. I don't care what you may identify as. Christ identified you before you were even born. And that's it. Now, again, when people are going through those things, we love them, we embrace them, and we help them get through a lot of the junk the enemy and the lies that the enemy has put in their head. A lot of people are confused. They're, 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 they're confused. They're lost. They're, they've, been, they've been led astray. And so we embrace, we love them into the right direction. Amen? Okay. Verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Of course it's going to be very good, because he is good. We were just singing about that today, right? We are God's image bearers. 
because he made you in his image, right? And so we shouldn't loathe, self-loathe, <laughs> just like we shouldn't, you know, like hate anyone else since they also bear the image of God. So it's not that God wants us to think poorly of ourselves because sometimes people say, if I think poorly of myself, then I'm being poor in spirit. No. How can I think poorly of myself when I'm bearing God's image? He wants us, he doesn't want us to think poorly of ourselves, but yet he wants us to think properly of ourselves. And, and many of you guys are like, well, okay, so what's properly? I'm glad you asked, Justin. I'm glad you asked. So, so the proper understanding of ourselves, right, and what it means to be important, in the New Testament, there were two words that they used in the original translations. There were two words that they used to describe poor, right? One is uh, penis, and it means like, like you're working, but you're, but you're, you're scraping by, Right? You're working, you have a little bit of money, you're scraping by, and that's what kind of that word means. But then there's another one that is tokos, which means beggar, having nothing, destitute, absolute poverty, absolute poverty. And this second word is the word that Jesus uses when he's telling us this beatitude, when he's speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the second word. So consider this. We might say that the poor in spirit means being spiritually bankrupt, being broke spiritually, completely broke spiritually. It means that we recognize that we are in complete spiritual poverty. Pay attention to this that we have nothing at all that we can add or contribute toward obtaining the kingdom of heaven ourselves. There is nothing that you can bring to the table that will get you to obtain the kingdom of heaven. We need to recognize that we come before God empty-handed. Like we come before him empty-handed. We have nothing that is of value to him. To be spiritually bankrupt will be to consider ourselves like a beggar, right? On the street that has nothing, that has nothing at all that you would desire. So you see a beggar, a beggar on the street or someone who's homeless, you look at them. There's nothing that they have that you want or that you would even desire at all, and when they ask you to give them money or food or whatever the case may be, the decision to give them something or not is not based on what they can give you because they have nothing to offer you. The decision to help someone in this situation is solely based on yourself and the mercy that you show toward that person. That's it. There's nothing that you can bargain with. They're, they're coming to you with open hands and nothing to offer. It's not like you can bargain. Hey, Stevie, I got these uh, smelly socks. Got a couple holes in them. 
You can have them. I get a dollar. Give you a dollar? I mean, give me a dollar. I'll give you these socks. Smelly, holy socks. <laughs> Before God, we are like a beggar that has nothing but filthy rags. Don't you understand this? We are spiritually bankrupt. And the fact is that we are still and should be all spiritually bankrupt. We all should be broke spiritually. But the way society is designed, the world that we live in, right, these days, it's about how can I gain affirmation from the world? What do I got to do? What do I got to post? What do I got to wear? What do I got to drive to, 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 to gain this affirmation based on this self-image that I'm putting together and putting before the world? I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, especially, you know how we have all these little avatar things now? You can make yourselves into like a little cartoon. I appreciate the honesty in a lot of people, but there are some avatars that do not look like you <laughs> at all, at all. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's stop portraying and, and building together this image to gain affirmation from the world. This affirmation based on image, our accomplishments, our skills, our salary, etc. This is the exact opposite of what Christ is telling us right here. The exact opposite. And the thing is that this lifestyle, what it does is it conditions us. This lifestyle that we live in today, that we're all exposed to on a daily basis, it conditions us to seek some form of affirmation. How many likes can I get? You know what I mean, everybody likes to get likes. Everybody likes to get likes. If you didn't like to get likes, you wouldn't have posted it in the first place. I'm just, I mean, hey, I like to get likes. But, but think about it. It conditions us. It conditions all of us. It makes it all the more difficult when we are conditioned to, to, to seek affirmation based on self-image. It's more difficult to then receive this when God, Christ is telling us to be poor in spirit. See how, you, see how, you see what the world... Yo, he's sneaky. Our enemy's sneaky. And if you're not in your word, if you're not in a relationship, you know, in a constant, consistent relationship, many times we fall victims to a lot of these traps. And I'm not saying you can't post nothing for likes. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that our, our, our spirit, it, it, we can't approach God this way. We cannot approach God and, and puff up our, 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 our collar, pop a collar, and, and pretend like we're, we're all this and, and try to see, God, let, let me gain your affirmation based on the things that I've done or how I look or how I speak or everything that I've done. We can't do that. When we approach him this way, I can, I can, only, <laughs> I can only imagine, like, like, you know, she's looking at like, what? You want me to hit the like button on that or something? Is that what you want from me? To be poor in spirit would better be defined to say, 
realizing our spiritual bankruptcy. <laughs> you ever meet people that are broke, but then won't say they're broke? If I'm broke, I'm going to tell you I'm broke. Because there have been times where you try to play the role of not being broke, and your friends go to some things that require some extra money. And then you even broke her after that, right? So, hey, if you got it, then say it. But if you're broke, you're broke. But there are some people that although they are spiritually bankrupt, they, they put up this, 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 this front as if they're not. It's like, it's like people that think their smelly, holy socks are actually worth something. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, Stevie, these socks are like collector's editions. You can put it up on the internet. Yeah, you know? I won't be surprised if something pops up like that one day. <laughs> I know, somebody's going to watch this and be like, oh, ping, trash, valuable. They, they, they think their smelly socks are valuable, and they, and, they, and they do not have the attitude of being poor in spirit. There's a great example of this in the scripture. I want to read it with you this morning. Um, it's a story that Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And it's found in Luke chapter 18, verse 19, 9, to 4, 9 to 14. It says, so Jesus told this story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. If you have great righteousness and you scorn other people, this message is for you. <laughs> Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance, and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in this, these verses, what you have here is you have ch two churchgoers. They're two churchgoers because they were both in the temple. They were both praying. You have two churchgoers, and they're here, and they're going, you know, they're in the temple praying. The Pharisee, you know, he's got his stuff all together. Outwardly. Outwardly. He's got this outward appearance, you know. He tithes. He fasts. He's a leader in his local church, in his community. They even wear the special clothes so everybody knows who they are when they're walking around, right? He's got it all together on the outside. The other man, this tax collector, the tax collectors were hated by people. They were hated by people um, because usually they were thieves. They took advantage of people. They would, they would extort money from people. 
It was easy for a tax collector to say if they had to collect $10, they would go over there and be like, hey, I need 20. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not giving you 20. Guards, he don't want to pay his taxes. And so people would have to pay and, 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 and be robbed by a lot of taxes. So there was definitely not a liking for tax collectors in this time. And I don't think there's a liking for tax collectors in this time either. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, this man who was a tax collector um, probably in his day was not the most generous and perhaps he probably did some things that were not right. Now the Pharisee talks about him and says, he, yo, yo, thank God I'm not like these other people around me. I'm a good person. Thank God I'm a good person. Look at everything I do. Look at what I say. Look at how I dress. Look at how I walk around. Look at the seat I have in the table. Right? This man, the Pharisee, actually believes that his filthy rags are worth something. He believes that his dirty socks merit him to receive the kingdom of heaven. He probably believes he's humble, too. He probably thinks that he's a humble man, right? He's probably the kind of guy that would write, that, that, that would write a book called Humility and How I Attained It. One-on-one. Humility for dummies. The tax collector, however, listen, the tax collector, he realizes his spiritual bankruptcy. He realizes he realizes how spiritually broke he is. He stands at a distance. He doesn't even want to lift his head to the heavens. Think about it. He doesn't even want to look up because knowing of who he is, understanding that he was unworthy, understanding that he had nothing to bring to the table. I've got nothing. I'm a tax collector. I'm probably a thief. I'm a cheat. You know, people don't like me, and I probably don't like them, and this and that. And he, and, and, but, but I'm a sinner. I got nothing to give you, but have mercy on me, Lord. He doesn't have eloquent prayers. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't pray for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And sometimes, you know, in, in the culture, I mean, I guess the longer the prayer, the more powerful it could be. <laughs> I kind of grew up to something like that. Come on, Dad. How long is the prayer going to be? <laughs> Yo, the other day, this is a true story. Uh, we went out to, to eat. And uh, we always pray with our daughter. We pray as a family, right? And so I don't know what happened that we were about to eat. And she was like, oh, we're not going to pray? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I said, Lord, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. She's like, um, excuse me. That was too short. I was like, okay, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for my daughter. Thank you for my wife. Bless my parents. Bless my sister. Bless this food in Jesus' name. Amen. That's more like it. I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) 
But he didn't, but, see, but this tax collector, he didn't have these eloquent prayers, right? But this is the man that Jesus says went home justified. Not because he was better. He didn't go home justified because he was better, but because he realized his spiritual poverty. He realized his brokenness. He realized that he had nothing of value that he could give to God. He comes before the Lord poor in spirit, recognizing his spiritual bankruptcy. Now the question is, are you poor in spirit? How do we know? How do we know if we're poor in spirit? I want to just talk about some characteristics that we can help to self-evaluate ourselves to see if perhaps we are poor in spirit or maybe we need to work on it a little bit more, right? The first characteristic I want to say is that the poor in spirit, one characteristic of the poor in spirit is a broken and contrite heart. David, a man described after, a man after God's own heart, could be said to be poor in spirit. I want to read Psalms uh, 51. Verse 17, 51, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Church, we need to have a broken heart. Now, not broken because someone dumped you. (laughs) All right? (gasps) The Lord's closer to me because I have a broken heart. My girl left me, my husband left me, whatever the case may be, it's, it, it's not talking about that at all, at all. It, it's not talking about being broken because someone hurts you. It's not talking about being broken because they were messing with you or they, they ruined your life or whatever the case may be. It, you know, it's not talking about being bitter because a lot of us that stay broken become bitter. He's not saying this is the type of brokenness he's talking about. We need to have a broken heart over our sin and recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt. Do you know know what it means to have a broken heart over your sin? Um, You're living your everyday life and someone asks you a question and you lie and they walk away and you're like, oh my God. Why did I do that? Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Hey, listen, I wasn't being truthful. Do you see how your heart breaks at that moment of sin? Think of, the, think of some of the things in your life that you struggle with when you, when you fall short. Like at that moment, is your heart breaking like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to say. This is not what I want to do. Like, like this is being brokenhearted over your sin. When it bothers you that you fell short at that moment. When you're like, oh, I let you down, God. And this moment of, of like, ah, oh, I should have, I got to do better. That's being brokenhearted over your sin. We need to know that we have nothing but filthy rags to offer God, Nothing. Does your heart break over your sin, or does it break over what breaks his heart? Or are you just upset that you were found out? Or that you got to face consequences now? 
Sometimes we're broken because we're living out the consequences of our sin. But the Bible tells us in advance that the wages of sin is death. It kind of says, it kind of gives you a heads up that there will be consequences for your actions. There will be consequences for your actions. A person who is poor in spirit has a broken heart over their sin. Another characteristic is a person has a humble heart. James 4, verse 6 and verse 10. So verse 6 says, God, uh, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Can I give you guys a little, a little like, tip? Never call yourself humble. <laughs> just, just don't do it. Just stop doing it. But you know, because I'm humble. I'm humble, pastor. So I don't really need much. I'm humble. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't even say that. The second you said it, you done messed up. Don't mess, don't say it. Don't say it. You know what? Let, let someone say it. Man, you know what, Camille? You're so humble. Oh, well, you know, whatever. Thank you. Amen. You know? Hey, Angel, you know, you're a real humble dude. Ah, oh, man, you know. I try. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you. But to walk around and then point it to yourself, you done threw it out the window. You threw it out the window. Now, now, I understand that some people use the word humble a little incorrectly, right? Because some people say I'm humble when they just really mean I'm low maintenance. You know, you can say I'm low maintenance. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need much, you know, and, and that's different, and that's okay, because you can let people know, like, hey, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't need the big things and this and that. You know, I'm low maintenance. That's different. So if you mean that, then start you saying that, but don't say humble. Humility recognizes that anything that we have, any gift that we receive, any uh, talent that we may have, it comes from God. Pride says, look at me, look at me, look what I can do. You know? Look what I can do. Humility says, look at God and look how good he is. Pride causes us to compare ourselves with others. Man, Justin's really good at carpentry. I wish I had that. I don't have any of that. Or we compare ourselves uh, in a sense of um, instilling pride, where we say, you know, <laughs> I'm not like Justin. You know, I, I behave good all the time. I listen to the scriptures all the time. I have all these verses memorized, and it becomes this Pharisaic pride that we read about in the verses, right? Humility causes us to compare ourselves not with people, but with God. Compare yourself to God and see where you line up. Compare yourself to God. Where are you on the scale? (laughs) There is no scale, it breaks. Humility will cause us to compare ourselves with God and realize how far we fall short. Do you look at others and think that you're better than them? Humble yourselves before the Lord so that he will lift you up. 
The poor in spirit will have a heart humility. In closing, the last characteristic is a dependent heart. Psalm 62, 5 to 8. Psalm 62, 5 to says, Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. We need to depend on God for everything, for everything, for our salvation, for our daily provision, for our growth, for our next breath. Too often... We want to rely on ourselves, right, and our own righteousness to live this thing out. You know what happens when we live on our own righteousness, when we, when we live on our own, like, uh, our own abilities? When something goes good, what do you do? <laughs> you know, I'm just that good. You know, when, when, we, when we are living out on our own righteousness, we, when things go good, we, we pop our collar. That's right. I did that. I know how I do it. I told you I was the best. Listen, now, that, that's how I roll. That's how I roll. I just get things done. You flex. Thank you. However, what happens when you do things on your own and then fail? So when, you, when things go right, you flex and pride kick, kick, kicks in, right? So that's wrong. When you fail, when you do things on your own, your own strength, things like that, all of a sudden, you feel depressed, self-hatred. Oh, I can't get anything right. Why? Because you, you, you were doing it all on your own. And so all this kicks in, and both ways you lose. There are so, this is where many Christians stumble in their walk with God. We, they, receive, they receive and depend on God's grace for their salvation. <laughs> we receive and depend on God's grace for salvation. But then afterwards, we begin to depend on ourselves, on our own righteousness for the rest of our own lives. Like we figure like, okay, I got this now. We come to Christ. We say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. Come into my heart. Save me. I don't want to go to hell. We, right, right? We do all this. He comes into our hearts, and we be like, I got this now. Don't worry, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. I got it, I, got it. I know how, I, I can get this done. I mean, I still got skills. I'm saved, I'm saved. I accept the Christ, but I still got my own skills. I still got my own strengths. I still got, and therefore, we, we push God aside, and we continue, and we live on our own righteousness, this walk with God. But when we do that, this is when we find ourselves back under the bondage of sin. Self-righteousness is wrong. This this is what I'm trying to tell you right now. Self-righteousness is wrong. But the Bible says we should be reliving righteously. So, I mean, if I walk around righteously, am I being self-righteous or am I not doing it the right way? Self-righteous means that you are putting in the effort 
purposely to create an appearance of righteousness. Like you are creating this appearance that you are righteous. But yet, when we're called to be righteous, righteousness should be a side effect of our relationship with Christ. We should be walking with him so much that we start to sound like him. You know how it is when you have friends. You have that one friend that has the same saying. They say the same, like it's, it's, a, it's a saying, it's a quote, it's a word. And all of a sudden you go home and then you say it. And you can't stop saying it. Because you hang out with that person so much. You're starting to look alike. You're starting to act alike. That's what it should look like in our relationship with God. The righteousness that we should be walking in should be the side effect of our daily walk with him. You see, well, this was the problem with the Galatian church. They received Christ by faith, but then they tried to depend on themselves and their actions, in this verse is specifically circumcision, to live righteously and instead, on, instead of God's grace. Galatians 5, chapter 1 to 5, it says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from, <laughs> you have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. When we stop depending on God, we begin to depend on ourselves. And by depending on ourselves, what you're doing is you're sowing seeds of spiritual pride because you feel that you can do it better than God. And by doing that, you bring yourself back into bondage of sin. We need to depend on God daily for living. In that same chapter, verse 25, Paul says, says, since we, he says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In every part of our lives. A lot of us struggle because we've given God compartments. <laughs> we've, given some, we've given God some things in our life, right? Some people used to like to fight a lot, and that was one of their issues, so they gave that to God. God, I don't fight no more. Yeah, but your heart is still, is still messy. It's still dirty. Like, can he have that too? So how do we do this? How do we, how do we continue being reminded? Uh, how, do, how are we continually reminded to depend on him on a daily basis? You know what in the simple and easy ways? We won't go into a whole list, but one of the most simple and easy ways is praise and worship. 
Just praise and worship. Do you, do you know what a lifestyle of praise and worship does? As you worship him, as you praise him, as you worship him, it's like, it's like you're, you're continuing to, to highlight the greatness of God. And the more that you highlight the greatness of God, the more you realize how little you are. The more you talk about how great he is, the more you realize how little you are. Church, can we stand this morning? To be poor in spirit requires that we keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord. Prayer team, can you make your way up to the front? You see, when we, when we, when we focus on the Lord, it is only then that we're able to get a proper view of ourselves. You know what a proper view is? A proper view is, Lord, I'm focusing on you, and because I'm focusing on you, I'm realizing how messed up I am. Because I'm focusing on you, I'm realizing how much more work I need to do in my life. Because I'm focused on you and your word, I'm realizing all the areas of my life that I need to submit to you, Lord. When we focus on him, when we focus on his word, we realize, guess what? I'm not as perfect as I thought I, I, thought I was. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you. I want that kingdom. I want, I want, I want to, I can't wait for the day. But there's some work I got to put in here. There's some, there's some heart changes that need to happen. This means I need to re realize this morning, I got to recognize today that I, I, can't, I can't keep trying to live on my own righteousness. I can't, I can't, I can't sin and be okay with it. I, I, can't, I can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and, and, and not being broken over it. Like I, that, that, that's not being broken, poor in spirit. Church, it should really bother you when you mess up. It should really, it should really tear you up. You ever let someone that you love down? Like you really care about them. You let them down. You did something you weren't supposed to do, and, and, and it breaks your heart because you see how broken they are about it. And because of their brokenness, it breaks your heart. And we know that sin breaks the heart of God. When we sin, we break his heart. Think about it. How could it not bother you to know that this all-loving father, a father that gives us unconditional love, a father that sacrifices only son, a father that will never leave us nor forsake us, how does it not bother you to understand that sometimes you do things, you say things, you act in certain ways, and you break his heart? But yet, you act like nothing's wrong. He'll forgive me later. He'll forgive me later. I just got to ask for forgiveness. It'll be all right. 
your heart should be broken. Thinking about what you've done and understanding that you broke his heart should have you on your knees weeping. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't got it all together. I know I keep messing up, but God, I'm trying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you've been comparing yourself to others, which by the way, so many people do this. You know, we talk about the condition of your heart. We talk about, you know, about your heart should be breaking when you sin, when you fall short. And the first thing that many of us do will be like, well, well, Juan's, you know, I'm doing better than Juan. I'm not doing all the things he's doing. And we try to, we try to make ourselves feel better by comparing where we are spiritually to someone else. And we say, well, I'm, I'm, at least I'm doing better than that person. If you've been comparing yourself to others and thinking that you're doing pretty well instead of coming to the Lord and seeing that you're spiritually broke, humble yourself before the Lord today, recognizing that you are spiritually bankrupt and fall at the feet of Jesus today. A broken and contrite heart. Contrite means feeling remorse. That's what we're talking about here. Oh, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. It says he will not despise. You know, the enemy does not want us to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. He doesn't want us to acknowledge how broke we are spiritually. He wants us to think that the rags that we have actually are worth something. He wants us to walk around thinking like that. Because as long as he can keep us thinking that way, as long as he can keep us talking like the Pharisee, well, you know, at least I'm not a cheater, an adulterer. I'm not a sinner. You know, I I tithe and I do this. this This is what he did. This Pharisee justified all his outward stuff when his heart was just dirty, dark. And the enemy would love for us to stay in that place. He would want us all to be just like the Pharisee. Oh, I go to church every Sunday. I even log in every every other Thursday or so for Bible study. I'm going to the outreach on July 15th. If If the enemy could just keep you there, If the enemy could just keep you there, you will never come to a realization of how truly broken you should be. You're walking around with these socks thinking they're worth a million dollars on eBay when they're worth nothing. Nothing. You know, this morning... Perhaps it's the first time that you realize the need for Lord, for, the, for our Savior. You know, you've been trying to be a good person, trying to do things the right way. You know, you know, you know how it is. I'm a good person. 
just to find out that you just can't do it on your own. I just can't do this. I tried. I'm a good person. I tried. I just can't do it by myself. I'm always falling short. We want to pray with you this morning. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the day for salvation, says the Word of God. I also want to pray with you this morning because some of us have uh, we've accepted Christ, right? We've relied on His mercy, His grace, and and his love for, for salvation. We've, we've relied on that for salvation, but, but something happened along the road. We accepted Christ. We came to him, and, and somewhere along the road, we kind of just kind of got away from some things, and, and we feel like we can get, get it done on our own. I invite you to the altar this morning because today he says, listen, let's, let's, get, back on, let's get back on track. Let's do this together. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Don't be guided by anything other than me is what he's saying today. We want to pray with you this morning. We want you to take that step in faith this morning. And after hearing this message, if you realize that maybe I'm not as poor in spirit that I, I thought I was, but I do want to. I do want to see the kingdom. I, I do want to be a part of it. We want to pray with you this morning, Father God. Look at each and every person that's here today. You know their struggles. You know their heart. Father, I ask right now that you speak to them, that you minister to them right now. Holy Spirit, minister in their lives right now. Father God, give them boldness, Lord, to take a step of faith, to say today is the last day I'm going to be living like this. Today marks the day that moving forward, I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to change my life. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.